he's repeating not only in December last year, but in January this year, in February this year, my goal is to have Baltic countries, Poland, Romania, and Bulgaria. They're repeating that right now. So why I should not believe Mr. Putin? Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantin Kissin. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a former economic advisor to Russian President Vladimir Putin, Andrei Larionov. Welcome to Trigonometry. Well, thank you for inviting me. Hello. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, many of our audience will be familiar with your background and who you are, but for those of them who are not, please tell everybody who are you, how are you where you are, what has been your journey through life that leads you to be sitting here talking to us? All right, so life is long, so I will not have enough time to discuss all my life, but uh, essentially I'm economist by training and I spent most of my time uh, by being economist and writing economic stuff and advising on economic policy. It happened that I spent some time, about six years, advising uh, uh, Mr. Putin as uh, economic advisor to the Russian president. I also been uh, a Russian Sherpa to G8 uh, club of the most developed uh, and then democratic countries, at least. Uh, some <laughs> of them still democratic one of them already not. Um, uh, in year 2005, uh, after serious, uh, series of serious conversations with my uh, former boss, I resigned from both of my positions as Russian Sherpa and uh, advisor. Uh, after that, in some time, I left Russia. Um, and now I'm living in the United States, working uh, for the Center for Security Policy. Uh, and I also spent some time in Ukraine, working for the Ukrainian Institute for Future. So it's my short story. Fantastic. Well, we are going to draw on your economic expertise in a moment. But one of the questions I think a lot of quote unquote normal people are asking at the moment is, uh, they're trying to establish how rational Vladimir Putin is. There's a sort of a mad Vlad narrative that's emerging in the West among some people. Uh, so before we get into the economics, the sanctions, the war, the military situation, what is your assessment of President Putin's mental state? You've seen some of the speeches that he's given that seem quite belligerent and so on. What, what do you make of that conversation, first of all? I don't buy that description that you have mentioned before. So he's pretty rational person. Probably he's the most rational person that I ever met my, in my life. And he continues to be uh, as so. He's very calculated. He's very determined. And he's uh, accurately balancing when he tried to portray himself as a so-called, if you use this word, mad. Uh, but that is just for producing uh, some impression on weak people, especially my leaders of the Western countries. Some Western leaders uh, like uh, to be feared, and uh, Mr. Putin knows that, and that is why he plays the game or plays the show with them. He pretends to be mad, and they pretend to be feared. So um, that's exactly what both sides uh, would like to do. So Interesting. When, when Putin uh, pretends to be mad and uh, threatening with the nuclear blackmail, 
So some people like President Biden prefers to believe him or some European leaders are saying, no, 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 we, we cannot participate. We cannot participate uh, in any serious uh, resistance to Mr. Putin. So that is why, okay, let's be fearful and do nothing. That's exactly what Mr. Putin wants. So that is why he's very, very rational and calculated. And speaking of rational calculated, the obvious question, and people are trying to answer it for themselves in the last couple of weeks, uh, you were talking since 2014 about the fact that there would be a full-scale war. I've been talking since 2014. I'm far less, I have far less expertise than you, but it was quite obvious to me also. Um, what If Putin is such a rational person, explain to our Western audience what is the rationale for his invasion? Is it NATO expansion? Is it his own expansionist desires? Is it other things? Why has he done this? Uh, he's rational, but he's rational not in our sense, so not in the sense of civilized people who would like to live in peace and democracy uh, with the rule of law. He's rational in the sense of uh, being imperialist. So he uh, started to talk about Kiev as his wet dreams, as we used to say in Russia, from year 2001. So already for 21 years. So and for these more than two decades, he has written so many texts. He has made so many statements. All of them uh, were devoted to Ukraine and to Kiev. So that is why he never hid it, his intentions. Uh, to establish control over Ukraine, to capture Kyiv. And uh, his statement about the Ukraine does not right to be an independent state. So that is why it's not too hard uh, to predict that he would do something. Moreover, he started to do uh, something like uh, these aggressive actions from year 2003. Uh, and that is why it was year 2003 in the street Tuzla in the Strait of Kerch. In year 2008, he proclaimed in conversation with George Bush Jr. that Ukraine does not have right to exist. In year 2014, he uh, captured and occupied Crimea and started war in Donbass. And in year 2021, he published a long essay explaining that Ukraine uh, should be uh, put under his control. So it was rather hard not to see what he was doing and what he was saying. Andre. I'll never forgive myself if I don't ask this question, so I have to ask it. What was it like to work for Vladimir Putin? In the UK, we say, would you go for a pint with him? Is Vladimir Putin somebody that you could imagine going to a bar, drinking vodka with? Is, is he a sociable man? Does he have another side to him? Or is it what you see is what you get? I never did what you have mentioned right now. I never went to bar with Mr. Putin. <laughs> I was uh, an economic advisor and I was invited to be an economic advisor. Actually, I've been invited three times because twice I declined his invitation and I agreed only for the third time. So, and I was working as economic advisor. My idea was to bring economic growth to Russia. So I was advising on economic policies that would be good, would be um, necessary to start and to continue uh, very uh, fast economic growth. And I uh, succeeded in that. The uh, 10 years uh, that the policies that I recommended were implemented, they were best period in the Russian economic history. Russian GDP doubled 
Russian GDP per capita doubled and private consumption per capita grew 2.3 times within 10 years. Uh, this is one again, once again, it's uh, best uh, economic growth period in the history of the country. So that is why from the uh, kind of the professional point of view, um, it was very productive for me. It was very productive for 145 million of Russian citizens. And the qu next question I was going to ask, you've kind of alluded to, do you feel that he was a competent leader? Let, let's forget about the, the war in Ukraine. But just when he came to power, do you think he was a competent leader the way you think he ran the country, was effective, particularly when you compare it with former leaders, certainly people like Yeltsin? You need to understand that I did not discuss with him how to attack Ukraine and how many bombers <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. put on that. Right. I, I am an economist and just... I talked to him uh, on economic policies and on state of economy. So, and I found uh, uh, him as a person who is ready to listen and to learn something that he didn't know. He was really uh, rather unique uh, in this regard compared to other Russian political leaders. And after that, I met many other leaders, including leaders from the West. And he was very, very unique in this regard because he tried to understand very complicated issues and some of them he learned and some of them he started to implement in his actions, in his policies. And it is one of the explanations why uh, that period, 10 years period, was such a good from the uh, point of view of economic growth. So it, it was his contribution to this result, no, no doubt. It's interesting that there seems, to, at least to me, and I'm sure you'll explain to me why I'm wrong, but there seems to be a contradiction in what you're saying. On the one hand, he is the guy who learns, who is uh, smart, who, who developed, you know, listened to you and other people around him um, to, de to deliver things for the Russian people. And he's very rational. Yet at the same time, his imperialist ambitions have taken him to a war in Ukraine, which will hurt Russia, would you not say? No, I completely agree with you. Actually, I came to the same conclusion uh, about 16 or 17 years ago. That is why I resigned uh, from position of economic advisor. But uh, initially, when I started to work uh, in the presidential administration, it was a quite sh a shock for me because before that, I thought that those people who would like to have economic prosperity for own citizens would not do imperialistic policies and they would not destroy democratic institutions uh, and they would not destroy rule of law. And uh, to my great surprise, because uh, Francis Fukuyama did not uh, explain to us in his uh, end of history, he saw that everything should be in one direction. Everyone who is supporting liberty or democracy and well-being of people, that's just one direction. Uh, and all evils will be on the other side. But I was able to see with my own eyes that somebody could be, or just a person uh, with whom I was working for some time, at the same time is uh, have having intentions to improve uh, living standards of people, to have an economic growth, but at the same time he's really very serious in destroying people uh, uh, liberal institutions, democratic institutions, institutions of law, 
and after that to start imperialistic wars at the same time. Mm. Uh, let me ask you, Andre, if I may, uh, I asked you about NATO expansion and we, we, we didn't quite address it. There are people like uh, John Mearsheimer or Vladimir Pozner or th- there are others who say the reason that this has happened is the West... Uh, particularly NATO, pushed closer to the borders of Russia. Uh, Vladimir Vladimir Pozner, for example, would say that Putin wanted to work with the West. He wanted Russia to join NATO. He Mm. wanted all poor, you know, fluffy Mr. Putin wants is for the NATO not to have its missiles and troops on its borders. Uh, You know, Ukraine is the equivalent of Mexico for the United States and expanding NATO into that area is, is very threatening to Russia. And that's the reason all of this is happening. What do you say to them? You know, it's very interesting um, what you're asking for, and especially because uh, uh, these two presentations, two shows of both uh, John Mishaim and uh, Vladimir Posner became a viral due to policies of YouTube, because I saw both of those shows some time ago when there was just several tens of thousands uh, people watched it. But after the policy of YouTube, that recommended everywhere and to everybody the number of people who were forced to watch those shows uh rise up to 20 million or something like that so that is why it's a particular policy of our platform our youtube platform uh to force people to watch these two shows which from my point of view are completely wrong they're wrong in their assumptions they're wrong in their attitudes to be correct I would say both of them, uh, at least John Misham is definitely, he belongs to the same class of uh, uh, thinkers who prefer to see empires uh, in these worlds, who does not give right of small nations or small countries to be independent. He's thinking, it's actually, it's a very... uh, well, I would say rather spread, ra- rather popular view among some political thinkers that not every country deserves to be independent. And there are some small countries that should go under the so-called umbrella of uh, superpowers. That's a view Andre, of Mr. I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, but isn't that true, though? I mean, look at the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. Did Cuba really have sovereignty when the Soviet Union tried to move its nuclear uh, missiles onto Cuba, uh, the United States said, you, well, we don't care about your sovereignty, we care about our security. Isn't that, John Marshama would argue that's what Vladimir Putin is doing. Okay, but it was in 1962. It was 60 years ago. We're living in year 2022. So, and after uh, end of it, it was a, actually uh, mid of the Cold War. And in 91, uh, Cold War was officially declared finished. So the Soviet Union uh, disintegrated, was a proxies to exist. And there was a possibility, actually, that was claimed by many people, including by Francis Fukuyama, whom I mentioned, and many others. But OK, yes, during the Cold War, during the World War, that's a world war. Uh, and in many regions of the world, it was a hot war. So after the finish of three world wars, first, second, and the Cold War, it is possible for small nations or medium-sized nations to be really independent, to have real sovereignty, because nobody should threaten them. So that is why if something happened in the past, okay, we can find 
many historical examples uh, before the First World War, Second World War, uh, and you, Cuba will be not the only one. But we are living in the 21st century, and nobody should use the instruments of the 19th century or 18th century or even the first half of 20th century against neighbors, against small countries. Why Ukraine or any other country could not live like a Luxembourg or Switzerland? Luxembourg and Switzerland are smaller nations than Ukraine. Nobody threatened Luxembourg and Switzerland from neighbors. Why Ukraine does not have the same right as Luxembourg? So I'm just playing devil's advocate here because emotionally I agree with you very much. I do think that Ukraine should have the right to do and choose any direction that it wants. And I have family in Ukraine and I want them to have the same freedoms and the same quality of life that I do here in London. Uh, of course I do. But on the other hand, if, if a, what is perceived as a hostile power to the EU placed its nuclear missiles or attempted to place its bases in Luxembourg, I think other EU countries would be concerned. Uh, I, all, I'm, all I'm getting at with you is, isn't it true to say that, of course, a country like Russia, which perceives the United States as a strategic adversary at best, placing its bases or placing its missiles on its borders is a concern. And when it happened with Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, etc., that was a little bit different because those countries were never in the long history part of the Russian Empire. But but Ukraine is different because there's that kind of, you know, uh, emotional element too as well. And it's a much bigger country too. No, but this is it. Uh, if there is something that is quite opposite to what uh, has been claimed by devil's advocate or Mr. Putin, because essentially uh, Ukraine did not place nuclear missiles on its territory. There was nobody among Ukrainian politicians, uh, uh, among uh, Ukrainian statements, among even the public uh, leaders in Ukraine who would ever suggest to placing, to deploy nuclear missiles on Ukraine that would threaten Moscow or Russia. No, the case was exactly different. Ukraine in 1994 signed Budapest Memorandum, through which uh, Ukraine uh, removed all nuclear weapons that were exactly located on the Ukrainian territory and gave all nuclear weapons to Russia. So that is why if there is a threat, this is a threat from Russia to Ukraine, not from Ukraine to Russia. And actually there is a constitution of Ukraine in which stated very clear, there should be no foreign bases on Ukrainian territory. And there was only one foreign uh, military base based on the Ukrainian territory. It was a Russian Navy base in Sebastopol, in Crimea. So that is why if was any threat to anyone, it was threat from Russia to Ukraine, not vice versa. And until the very last moment, Ukraine was never played any potential that Ukraine never invited United States or NATO to deploy nuclear missiles or to deploy U.S. troops on a Ukrainian territory or deploy U.S. or NATO bases on Ukrainian territory. The majority of Ukrainian population were against NATO membership until Putin attacked Ukraine in year 2014, occupying Crimea, occupied uh, Sevastopol, started war in Donbass. So reaction of Ukraine to defend itself, it is a result of Putin's aggressive policy and his aggressions against Ukraine. Andre, 
why is it that so many people in the West were shocked when he invaded and very few people predicted it? Uh, because uh, the West is living in different reality. Many, I would say, Western leaders, um, Western leaders, political leaders, and Western leaders in the sense of media and public opinion, they really decided that, okay, the life that they are enjoying, especially in Europe and the Northern America over the last several decades, are so good that they prefer to forget or prefer uh, not to see reality beyond Europe's borders or North American borders. And there are thugs in the world that are occupying the highest position in power in a number of countries. There are imperialists, they are aggressors, and they are using very different policies and different attitudes and different actions from those people who are living in Europe. Just people pretend to see that that part of the world does not exist. Or if they would preach to some kind of good course or so-called diplomacy, which means doing nothing, that would help to save thousands of lives from attacks of thugs and imperialists. This is just mistakes. And actually, by the way, uh, you asked me before, whether Mr. Putin is a rational and very he whether he understands what's going around the world. Mr. Putin understands understands very well what is going around the world, but many Western leaders do not. Hey Francis, do you like podcasts and politics? No, mate, I'm a real man. I'm only interested in football birds and fast cars. Last time you tried to drive a car, you had a panic attack when you got overtaken by a granny. She was driving very aggressively and used disgusting language for a woman of her age. Well, for those of you who do like podcasts and politics, then you have to check out The Lost Debate. It's a podcast and YouTube show for political eclectics who want to escape their media bubbles and engage in good faith with ideas from across the political spectrum. It's three friends from across the political spectrum discussing the big issues of the day. Ravi's a former Obama staffer and school principal, Corey's a former Fox Radio News host, and Ricky's a New York Post columnist. Instead of being at each other's throats, they focus on bringing new perspectives to the table in constructive debates that sound less like crossfire and more like discussions between real people. They sound like us, apart from the whole sound like real people bit. That, and they might actually know what they're talking about. Check The Lost Debate out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think the West has done enough in order to support Ukraine? Or do you think that actually what they should do is they should have put up maybe stronger sanctions, maybe done more, particularly because maybe Putin will then advance and try and take other nations? The short answer is definitely no. And we can discuss what uh, the West might do. One very basic principle, actually, is coming from our earlier uh, discussion, is that if tanks are already rolling, they cannot be stopped by sanctions. That's a very simple and not very pleasant lesson to leaders, to public opinion, to regular people, to ordinary people. If already war is started, if bombers are flying, if missiles are shelling 
cities and killing people and tanks are rolling, you cannot stop them by resolution of United Nations General Assembly. You cannot stop them by sanctions, whatever sanctions will be. Just please let me just remind everybody. In 1939, the Soviet Union uh, started war against Finland. It is so-called Soviet-Finnish war or winter war, uh, as it is known in Finland. A couple of weeks after that, the Soviet Union has been expelled from the League of Nations. The question is, expelling of uh, League of Nations or from the United Nations, if, is, if it would be today, whether it stopped Stalin to continue his attack on Finland? No, he continued this war for another 100 days. Whether this expulsion from the League of Nations stopped Stalin from occupation of Baltic countries? No, in 1940. Whether that fact stopped Putin, uh, stopped Stalin, it's interesting, it's like a Freud. <laughs> Freud okay, okay. Like that. <laughs> uh, okay, so just uh, whether it stopped Stalin from occupation of Bessarabia and Northern Bukovina in 1940? No. And actually, expulsion from the League of Nations, it's a very serious sanction. So it means that this particular very serious acts that we have seen in the past did not stop Stalin or Hitler when he actually, he himself left League of Nations. So if the aggressor decides to attack neighbors, membership in any international organizations or sanctions of economic type or transportation or personal sanctions do not play any role, they would continue this aggression they would continue their attacks. So that is why it is necessary to change mind of those people who prefer to think once again in those in, in, in ideas of sanctions or expulsion or whatever. No, for hardware policies, for hardware attacks, it should be hardware response. Only that can work. It's not and a guarantee. And what do you mean by hardware response, Andre? It means resistance. It means the forceful resistance. Do you know, when I mentioned this Soviet Finnish war of 1939-1940, do you know when Stalin really stopped the war? No. When he received information that the British and French troops uh, are uh, embarking on the ships and are going to be shipped to Finland to fight on the Finnish side. As soon as Stalin received this information, he immediately stopped so-called peaceful negotiations and stop the war. Do you know when Putin stopped the, uh, his attack on Georgia in year 2008? We know this just not by days. We know it's by hours and minutes. On August 11, year 2008, George Bush Jr. appeared uh, in front of the White House, flanked by his Minister of Defense and uh, Assistant uh, on uh, national defense and proclaimed that he's directing U.S. troops to the region. And immediately, U.S. Navy started to move from Mediterranean to Black Sea, and U.S. Air Force has been deployed to Romania and to Turkey to the U.S. bases. Twelve hours after that, Putin stopped attack on Georgia. That's a powerful result of resistance, of resistance of very powerful country in this world, United States, 
for aggression. I take your point, Andre. It's a hard line, and you know, it's you, you argue it well. What would you say to the people going? Hang on a second here. If you start down the part of hardline resistance, your words. I mean, we're on the we're on the path to World War Three. And already. the second part of the question, Andre, is you've used the example of Stalin, which again is a good point. But let's be fair. Stalin didn't have nukes, did he? Okay, Mr. Putin. First of all, Stalin had nukes. The, but not in '39. But in '49. Okay, in '49, yeah. okay. uh, he okay. already had the nukes, and after that, there was a Korean War. And mm. how Korea has been saved? At least part of Korea has been saved with resistance, with resistance from the United States, United Kingdom, and a number of other Western countries who supported and defended South Korea. It's only way to do it. And actually, even Stalin did not use nukes in Korean War. What about Mr. Putin? Okay, in year 2008, during Russian-Georgian war, Mr. Putin did have nukes. Did he use it when uh, Americans moved their troops into the region? No. What happened in year 2015 when the Russian bomber violated Turkish airspace for 40 seconds? Turkish jet shot down Russian bombers and two people, one of them pilot, have been killed. What was the reaction of Mr. Putin to the action of Turkey, not United States? Turkey just did it alone. What was the reaction? Mr. Putin promised to punish Turkish tomatoes. <laughs> but he did not do even that. So, and after that, none of Russian bombers violated Turkish space anymore. In year 2018, the group of Russian mercenaries uh, were trying to capture uh, the gas plant in Deir Azor in Syria. What happened after that? Americans with Kurds destroyed this group and 200 mercenaries were killed, Russian mercenaries. What was the reaction of Mr. Putin? Nothing. Deep silence for four years that continues up to today. Putin never mentioned it. He not not even used nukes. He never mentioned nukes. He never mentioned this case. What is going right now during this war against Ukraine? What Turkey did? Turkey did something that no other country did. Turkey essentially participated in this war uh, on the side of Ukraine. Do you know With about drones. that? drones, yeah. No. Drones are very well known. Turkey closed straits. Bosporus and Dardanelles. And the Russian Navy has been left in the Mediterranean and again sea. Those ships, those navy that could shell and bombard Odessa, Nikolaev, and other Ukrainian cities. So Turkey closed the straits. What we hear from Mr. Putin, whether he's threatening to use nukes against Turkey? No. He never mentioned it publicly. So once again, we can see not only in 1939 with Mr. Stalin, not in year 2008 with Putin uh, versus Georgia, but right now, today, some countries and some leaders prefer not to be afraid to resist. What is the reaction from Mr. Putin? Nothing. But those leaders who actually place for Mr. Putin pretend to be afraid, to pretend to be fearful, 
And that is playing this game with MiG-29 from Poland, Slovakia, and Bulgaria. It was a decision of Mr. Biden not to give those jets to Ukrainians. Because of nukes, because such a threat, okay, it's a game. It is a game for four hands, as we say in Russia. So it's a game of two uh, people. One person is playing the role of the bad cop, another is playing the role of good cop, but they're playing together against Ukraine. So, okay, uh, I, I know that a lot of people will be uh, interested in your perspective, and I'm very interested in, in the perspective you bring. That's not an argument I've really heard much mm. in the Western mainstream media, at least. Um, but it is quite a scary argument for people because essentially you're asking us to play chicken with nuclear weapons in, in the modern age in which the use of nuclear weapons would end all life on Earth. Is that really a risk you think the United States should be taking? It's very strange. Mr. Putin was threatening to use nuke, so he's playing at least in those threats so many times that those who prefer to not to hear what Mr. Putin is doing, just who is realistic, who is understanding what's going on. Mr. Putin is already using it as a blackmail, as a threat. So that is why if you refuse to do it, you are in a weak position. So it means you already surrender. In this battle, whatever you can call uh, real war or psychological battle or whatever, just if one side is openly refusing to use some particular instrument or some particular weapons, it means you already surrender because the other side is ready to escalate. And if you are not ready to escalate, it means you're ready for defeat. and means you're ready to defeat it. The only way, just, okay, just let's uh, imagine that we are not playing the geopolitics, but you happen to be in the night or in the evening in the dark corner and some thugs approaching you with very clear intentions. That's what are they going to do with you or with your friends or with your family? Okay, what is your reaction? Your reaction is to defend yourself and your close ones or to run. If you are not, if you are going to read Bible to that person or those persons, okay, you probably would not win this battle. So that is why either you fight, it's not a guarantee that you can win, but at least you will try, you have a chance. Or if you say, oh, I'm not going to use my force, I'm going to read good book to, to that person. Okay, what are you going to, what is going to happen? You will be in a very bad position. Okay, I, th I think it's probably an oversimplification, but it doesn't matter. Let's get into your no, it's the same specific... Story, by the way, it's, it's the same, absolutely same story. This is psychological warfare. If yeah. leaders of the country refuse to use the instruments and the weapons that in their disposal, so they, it means they don't have them. Just if you do not use nukes, even your imagine, imaginative, uh, some kind of possession, so it means you don't have it. It means that just you are in a, in a position of Luxembourg. You are not United Nations. Uh, you're, you're not United States. You're not United Kingdom. You're just Luxembourg or Switzerland or Finland. Yeah, but the, the fact that nuclear war can end all life on Earth, I think, plays very much into making it a bigger issue than just you being mugged for your money by a, a thug in the street. There's a, That's a exactly bigger... The, 
that's exactly the point that Mr. Putin is using. Because, okay, because you are thinking in that particular approach, okay, just in the in this particular line, okay, and he's a very different one. Okay, that's exactly the point. You're ready, ready to be defeated. You're ready okay. to be I to hear surrender. you. I'm ready to be defeated. So explain this to me. What are your policy prescriptions in this moment? How should the United States, because let's be clear, Britain, France, Germany, they can all do things. But at the end of the day, it is up to the United States. It's the most powerful country in the world by far. It's the decision maker on these issues. What would you have America do right now? That's another mistake, by the way, Konstantin. Okay. Because we accustomed to think about the United States as the most powerful <clears throat> uh, country in this world. And that is why uh, people just turn to believe, okay, so we cannot do anything. Just let's wait until uh, U.S. president would do something. We are in a position right now, especially with the arrival of new uh, American president 14 months ago, uh, uh, in a situation where United States, at least under the current administration, is going to do anything in defense of freedom, democracy, and lives of million people uh, around the world. And for the first time uh, since 1949, uh, since the foundation of NATO, uh, the Western countries, free countries, free world, uh, found itself in the position that they need to act without the United States. Because the current U.S. administration would do nothing, almost nothing, for uh, defense of Europe. And Europe woke up especially over the last four weeks, in a situation that if Europe itself or European countries would not act by themselves, so they are risking to be attacked next time by Putin. If he will be able to win in Ukraine, it is absolutely clear that he will not be stopped. He will go further. And he's goals are already known. He issued this ultimatum to NATO, to the West, to the United States, to Europe in December last year. On December 17th, he published two so-called draft treaties in which he proclaimed his goal is so-called returning to 1997 division line in Europe, which with the so-called denatoization of Central and Eastern Europe, which means, and actually they mentioned those countries, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, should stop to be uh, members of NATO. And it is not only denatoization, it is demilitarization of those countries. It is a text of these documents. It's exactly That's what- That's true, and I've read those texts, Andre. So that being the case, what should Europe do in this situation, in your opinion? Right now, as we understand, the strongest army on the European continent is Ukrainian one. It's a kind of, it became known over the last four weeks. And the Ukrainian uh, nation is resisting this attack. And this is the strongest ally of Europe in this battle against tyranny, against despotism. So that is why it's not only due to humanitarian reasons it is necessary to support Ukraine, 
but it isn't just for genuine European interest to do everything possible and impossible that the Putin's aggression against Ukraine will be the last one for Putin. So that is why Europe, European countries, with the United States or without the United States, doesn't matter, need to do everything just to support and to defend Ukraine. And now we can discuss what exactly Europe can do. But this is a very important mental point. Europe should not allow uh, Ukraine to be subjugated by uh, Kremlin's uh, master. Okay, great. I am with you 100%. How? All right. Crucial point now is no-fly zone, as we all know. And President Zelensky said it in all his conversation with Western leaders, in his statements to the UK Parliament, to the US Congress, to anyone. So just help us to close the sky. It can be done in different ways. Certainly the best way is the NATO would pronounce no-fly zone over Ukraine. That would be the best solution. Okay, NATO is scared. It is not Turkey. Turkey alone can do whatever they like, and actually they shot Russian bombers in the Turkish sky without any problem. But NATO is much smaller and weaker than uh, Turkey alone. NATO cannot do it. Okay, but NATO can provide Ukraine with anti-air weapons, with anti-missile weapons, with many other weapons, with heavy uh, uh, military equipment that Ukraine needs. And Ukraine is splitting to provide them with all these weapons. And Europe does not provide that weapons that Ukraine needs at this moment. Actually, United Kingdom is uh, in a very particular position. United Kingdom is leading the so-called JEF, Joint Expeditionary Force. It is a group of 10 countries uh, led by the UK. So it is expeditionary force. You, these JEF can deploy their troops in, let's say, west of Ukraine. It's not necessary for a JEF to participate in the battles. No. JEF would put would participate in peacekeeping missions. They would provide support for humanitarian convoys, uh, bringing Ukrainians to Europe. They could provide uh, security for those uh, convoys with military equipment uh, to Ukraine. They would not participate in the battles. They would be just over there, just to physically present. And actually, it would be another deterrent to Mr. Lukashenko, uh, who is still thinking whether to participate in aggression against Ukraine or not. And actually, that would be substantial real help of Europe, UK, and GF to Ukraine. But isn't that really where people's concern in the West comes from? Because I hear what you're saying, and I want to defend people in Ukraine from uh, Russian aggression as much as you do. But what happens if NATO shoots down a Russian, Russian plane? Or what happens if Russia as it has done already, bombs Western Ukraine to, to, to destroy bases for training or whatever, and is killing British, American, or other European countries' soldiers. Isn't that taking us on the road to World War III, which no one wants and no one can afford? No, first of all, the World War III, to some extent, has been announced or proclaimed by Mr. Putin. So that is why if you 
if the West is still don't hear that, it's a problem of the West, not of the reality. So, but the best way to stop this particular war from evolving into real sword world war is just to participate in that particular actions and to stop this war, to defend Ukraine. Because if Ukraine is defended, so this potential third world war will be stopped right now and right there in Ukraine. But if it is not stopped, it can evolve and can spread to other countries, including Europe. This is a basic lesson of the Second World War. If Hitler would be stopped in Czechoslovakia, he would not go to Poland. If he would be stopped in Poland, he would not go to France. That's a very basic lesson. We are dealing with the same issue. If Putin has not been stopped in Georgia, he went to Ukraine. If Putin is not stopped in Ukraine, he would go further. Same story. Andre, do you not worry that what Putin has effectively done here is he's backed himself into a corner with by deciding to invade Ukraine? And as a result, he can't lose. He just can't lose. So if we start pushing up against him and if we start shooting down Russian planes, then what effectively happens is not only is it antagonizing, it means that his presidency becomes more destabilized, which means he's therefore more likely to do something rash because he feels his actual position in life is under threat. No. You know what will happen? If uh, NATO or Jeff or another coalition of Western countries would declare no-fly zone over Ukraine and would provide necessary resources to secure this no-fly zone, it will be the last day the Russian jets would appear in the Ukrainian sky. It will be a lot of statements from Kremlin. It will be... Uh, not very nice words, whether we hear, but in terms of actions, there will be none. As it was in the case of Turkey, that not only declared no-fly zone over Turkish space, airspace, but effectively shot down the Russian bomber. In Turkey, closed the Strait of Bosporus. There was not, no reaction for that. Same story will be in this case. Russian planes will stop to fly in the Ukrainian sky. Simple. Mr. Putin, as you've seen him, he never did anything that comes from this particular pattern. He's so much afraid for his life, as we can we have seen, that he has distance for 10 meters when he is meeting French president or his assistants or his ministers. How such a person could start a third world war, real third world war with nukes, if he's so much afraid for his personal life? Do you have a website or do you plan to have a website? Because if you do, then EasyDNS is a company for you. EasyDNS is the perfect domain name registrar provider and web host for you. They have a track record of standing up for their clients, whether it be cancel culture, de-platform attacks, or overzealous government agencies. He knows about that. So will you in a second. <laughs> EasyDNS have rock solid network infrastructure and fantastic customer support. They're in your corner no matter what the world throws at you. Unless it's your ex-girlfriend, in which case you're on your own. <laughs> you know about that. <laughs> Move your domains and websites over to EasyDNS right now 
all you've got to do is go to easydns.com forward slash triggered. That's easydns.com forward slash triggered. Use our promo code, which is also triggered, and get 50% off the initial purchase. Sign up for their newsletter, Access of Easy, which tells you everything you need to know about technology, privacy, and censorship. What is the role of China playing in all of this, Andre? Because initially there were some people worried that China was going to invade Taiwan. Do you think that will happen? Or do you think that because because the West has done more than we anticipated, that's made the Chinese think twice? No, first of all, uh, it's better to ask Chinese. I cannot talk on behalf of the Chinese leadership. Okay, what are they going to do? But uh, from what we are... Uh, what we know and from we are getting some kind of additional information, uh, Chinese leadership is not happy with what Mr. Putin is doing in Ukraine and how he's doing. So that is why that gave them a very unpleasant lesson what might happen if uh, China would try to conquer uh, Taiwan uh, with military means. Such an ugly picture does not attract Chinese leadership. And that is why you could easily see the changes in the lexics, in these discussions on the part of Chinese leadership, compared to just a few months ago, when uh, Xi was telling to Biden that Taiwan will be taken anyway. But now they know only peaceful means. Chinese is very interesting civilizations and interesting leadership at least for the moment, it does not look like that they are ready to undertake uh, adventure adventure similar to what Mr. Putin is doing in Ukraine. And Francis, you want to ask about sanctions as well, didn't you? Yes. So, Andre, the, one thing that I really wanted to talk about, as Konstantin alluded to, was the sanctions question. Now, the West have imposed some pretty strict sanctions You've, you've said that in the short term, that's going to make no, no real difference to the war in Ukraine, or no difference at all, should I say. What about the long term, Andre? It, will that ultimately weaken and destabilise Putin's regime because Russia is going to run out of money, or does it make no difference at all? Okay, first of all, we have a historic experience uh, with uh, sanctions introduced against some other countries, against Iran, against South Africa, against North Korea, against Cuba. What was the result of all those sanctions? Whether we seen any changes in political regime of those countries? Not a single case. And each of those countries are much, is much smaller than Russia. Incomparably smaller, incomparably weaker. So if that did not happen, if such result uh, did not happen in any of those cases, what is the basis to expect that all those sanctions would lead in short term, in medium term, in long term with Russia? Just none. There is no basis for that. But actually, the West did not introduce even serious sanctions against Russia. For example, against Iran, uh, the West introduced embargo, oil embargo total oil embargo. Okay, where you can see oil or gas embargo against Russia. No, you don't. we don't see it. So that is why there is no real sanctions against Russia for the moment. There are some, but not 
really serious one because the more serious one uh, would be sanctions against oil and gas exports from Russia. And nobody even talking about that. But even in this case, it would reduce it was uh, reduce the potential economic potential for new aggressions. I would agree with that, but it would not change the type of thinking of Mr. Putin in his entourage. Andrew, sorry to jump in your conversation with France, but Britain and America have said they won't be buying Russian oil or gas. They, they, I understand they're small customers, the mm. few percentage of of the total, but they have said that. So there has been a little bit of movement on that, hasn't there? No, but it's not embargo. It's, I mean, just, okay, United States that is buying whatever, 1% or 2% of the Russian oil, stop to do it. Okay, what is it? Embargo right. is embargo. It means that just uh, the uh, Western countries or countries that do participate in these policies proclaim that no one can buy Russian oil and Russian gas. And they were ready to introduce sanctions against anyone who is trying to participate in such a trade. So it's okay, just so you as an economic expert, you as an economic expert, you spent uh, a long time helping Russia rebuild its economy and get on its feet. And you, as you said yourself, you were, you were successful in that. How do you assess the sanctions that are currently in place? What will be their impact on Russia's economy and on the regime? Okay, the result, uh, actually, uh, the most serious sanction that have been introduced by the Western countries is the freezing assets of the Central Bank of Russia. This is a, probably the most uh, important step and with actually rather short-term consequences uh, because this particular step essentially killed uh, exchange rate market in Russia and uh, deprived uh, companies and persons and the government from foreign exchange. Now, foreign exchange is Russian. Uh, is Russian in Russia, just not more than $5,000 uh, uh, can be given to either to private person or to company, but also for six months. And actually, even that amount is not available. So that is why it's a single most important act uh, that have been uh, taking recently. Uh, what will be next? Okay, there will be a crisis, there will be depression, uh, business activity already down by 18%. Uh, the forecast for inflation this year would be 60 to 70%. Um, uh, there wow. is a very important actually fact is uh, exodus of private companies from Russia. This is probably even more important than the decisions taken by governments. The private sector, uh, that actually uh, nobody directed them, nobody gave them orders, but many of the companies, foreign companies, international companies, decided to leave Russia regardless of their investments for the last 33 decades in Russia, uh, saying that, okay, they cannot stay in Russia under current circumstances. And this is a problem of the most important medium to long-term impact on uh, Russian economy. So Russia economy will come back to by the level maybe to the 90, 1990s in terms of uh, international isolation to the period of Soviet Union. Okay, but it would not change uh, calculation of Mr. Putin. It would not change his type of thinking. He does not. He will not change his intentions to wage war against neighbors. So that is why you need to some 
to have some instruments and to use those instruments. I mean, I find what you're saying really interesting, Andre, because the prevailing narrative in the West has been that we don't get involved, we don't escalate tensions. Do you think that's a sign that we've gone soft? Uh, it's a sign that you're going to so-called Chamberlain-type uh, policy of 1938. That time it was called appeasement. And it was to some extent understood because it was the first time in the history. And second, it was under the First World War uh, where Britain and France lost uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, their men. And that is why the main narrative was to do everything possible and possible to avoid another world war. But, okay, Mr. Hitler and Mr. Stalin did have different attitudes and different ideas. And they were exploiting these so-called pacifistic uh, attitudes of uh, British and French leaders for their favors. So we are dealing exactly or almost with a very similar uh, situation right now. So Britain, France, many other European countries saying, okay, we would like not to be involved. Okay, Britain also did not want to be involved in Czechoslovakia uh, affairs, also that and land crisis or uh, to, to some kind of, to, uh, with Anschluss of Austria, with Anschluss of Memel. Okay, what happened after that? And after that happened the Third World, uh, Second World War, with bombing of London, of Coventry, and with war arrived to the British soil. So if you do not stop war in some other places, war will come to you, to your homes, and to your people. Are you... <laughs> Are you optimistic, Andre, that this will be solved, that finally the West will stand up in, in the manner that you wish? Or, or do you think it's Putin is going to keep infringing, he's going to keep moving forward, and eventually war is inevitable? It depends on the decision of Western leaders. It depends on the decision of European leaders. It depends on me. It depends on <laughs> the decision of Western leaders. If they would participate right now, with the hardware policies, and they will be able to defend Ukraine, yes, there is a very high chance that it will be the last invasion and last aggression from Putin. But if they won't do it, there is a very high probability that the war will come to them, to their houses. And is that really true? I mean, look, let's say, for the sake of argument, that and again, I'm playing devil's advocate because what you're saying resonates with a lot of my commentary in recent weeks. But I'm trying to understand my position and your position and to stress test it. So I know you're taking it in that spirit anyway. Um, let's say Ukraine succumbs to Putin. He takes over. He, he you know, he installs a puppet government, etc. Do you re are you really trying to tell people in the West that Putin would then attack a NATO country, knowing full well that NATO has now taken the situation seriously and that NATO would respond and NATO may strike back even with nuclear weapons if it feels that it has to. Are you really saying he's going to try and connect Kaliningrad, for example, through uh, Lithuania and Latvia in that way? Uh, probably you've heard uh, these stories from survivors of Nazi concentration camps. Uh, at least they became relatively popular. If somebody threatens to kill you, take it seriously. 
do not think that's a joke. Once again, it's not from me, from survivors uh, of Nazi concentration camps. Now we have a person who repeating, repeating again and again and again. He's going to come to the 1997 division line. He's repeating not only in December last year, but in January this year, in February this year. On March 8th and 9th, it's already two weeks after launching his attack on Ukraine. He's repeating and then again, my purpose is denotization of Europe. My goal is to return NATO to 1997 division line. My goal is to have Baltic countries, Poland, Romania, and Bulgaria. They're repeating that right now. So why I should not believe Mr. Putin? For the reason that you gave earlier, which is you said he is the most rational person you've ever met. And it's clearly an irrational act to attack a nuclear alliance, isn't it? No, looking what uh, is the response from the current US administration, it's no doubt for me that if Putin moved to Baltic countries, there will be no response from NATO, at least uh, from NATO under the current US administration. No. And that is why Putin is rushing so much, because he needs to finish all his business before year 2024. It is absolutely clear because he he was actually very quiet uh, when there was another U.S. president. He was very quiet. Well, let me ask you the obvious uh, under question George then. Bush and under under Trump because well, quite. would this have not... happened if Trump was in power? No, because under Trump, the Russian mercenaries have been destroyed in Syria, and after that, surprise, surprise, there was no any provocations on the Russian side in Syria. And in Ukraine, there was a substantial decline in hostilities. And even there was uh, so-called the, uh, not an armistice, but there was a very substantial decline uh, in shootings in the, uh, in the line in Donbass. Everything has changed on January 21st, year 2021, next day after Biden became US president. The shootings, the number of shootings increased 10 times. The number of Ukrainian military uh, being killed in Donbass increased 10 times. And exactly from that moment, Putin started to mass uh, his troops on the Ukrainian border. It did not hap un happen under Trump. It happened with Mr. Biden. So that is why uh, Putin understands very well that he had a window of opportunity until Biden is the president of the United States. So that is why he would try to do everything possible and impossible within this short period of time until at least 2024. And Andre, do you think that the debacle in Afghanistan influenced Putin's thinking? Watching what the US did, watching how they messed it up, the complete disaster, do you think that just solidified his decision? No, it was just additional uh, element in his thinking, because once again, I mentioned this, the Putin has started to uh, uh, act actively against Ukraine in another direction from January 21st, 2021, before debacle uh, in Afghanistan. Because Putin knew Mr. Biden very well, because Mr. Biden traveled to Moscow, even in Soviet times, in 1978. And during the meeting uh, with his friends from the Politburo of Central Committee of Communist Party, Mr. Biden betrayed Russian Soviet dissidents. It is in the, on the record. Mr. Bukowski 
in his archive actually put all these documents uh, on website. You can read them both in Russian and English. So that is why the position of Mr. Biden towards Soviet dissidents in 78, to South Vietnamese in 75, to Kurds uh, later is very well known. Mr. Biden, it is his position through all his life. So that is why Afghans were not first nations that have been betrayed by him. And Ukrainians is not the first nation. There are many others before that case. So that is why it was not hard to predict what kind of uh, policies and what kind of actions will be from Mr. Biden. So that is why Putin started to act on January 21st. And what happened with Afghanistan only reinforced his thinking because he said it was exactly that we expected. And you remember, by the way, it was not only debacle in Afghanistan. After what happened uh, in Afghanistan, what happened? Mr. Biden asked Mr. Putin to deploy American troops in Central Asian countries, in Tajikistan, in Kyrgyzstan, in Uzbekistan. What a shock. United States president is asking, is requesting the international attack and aggressor to deploy American troops in the third countries. That's it. It's a kind of it's confirmation of the imperial type of thinking already not only in part of Mr. Putin, but on the part of Mr. Biden. Because Mr. Biden is thinking in the type of sphere of influences. It already gave Central Asia to sphere of influence of Putin. And that is why he was asking Putin for permission. How it is possible that a United States president would be discussing with anybody else except of the leadership of these particular countries, whether it's possible or not possible. This is a reflection of sphere of influences in Mr. Biden's mind and in the minds of his colleagues. Well, uh, Andrei Nikolaevich, it's been a, a brilliant interview. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're going to ask you a couple of questions from our local supporters that only they will see. But before we do, we've got a, uh, about three or four minutes. Uh, normally we say, what's the one thing we're not talking about as a society that we should be? But in, in your case, I think you have such an interesting and very different perspective to most people. What else should people know about Russia and Ukraine, the current situation? What haven't we discussed? What is really important for people to understand about this situation that you think isn't being talked about enough? There are many things to talk about, but just probably one of the uh, topics that we just touched a little bit would be uh, useful uh, for our audience. We need to understand that Mr. Putin was able to act so aggressively and so cynically and so rudely only if there is a support from some Western capitals. If such support, that's it, hidden, support did not exist, Putin would never attack Ukraine. And thousands of people would never be killed. That people should understand. And the basis and the root of this, that's it, support for Mr. Putin is exactly this particular type of thinking, sphere of influences. It's exactly what you mentioned. You remember when you you reminded about John Mishmeyer in his thinking. It's exactly this school of so-called international relations or diplomacy. And it is exactly the school of thought that has been shared by Mr. Biden, by uh, Mr. Burns, CIA director, by Mr. Blinken, 
the state secretary of the United States and the current U.S. administration. This is a root. This is a problem. This is a problem on the West. And that is why the YouTube is spreading these statements from uh, John Mishmaya or Vladimir Posner and so on. This is a school of thought that deprive independent nations from their sovereignty, from their independent choice, whether they would like to develop and to, to, to join Western uh, Union or whether would, they would like to be within civilization or they would be under the boat uh, from uh, Kremlin or any other dictator. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. If people want to follow uh, more of your commentary, where is the best place to do that? Okay, I'm writing uh, regularly on my uh, blog in livejournal.com, uh, aelarionov.livejournal.com, and also Facebook, uh, myself, Andrei Ilarionov7. Okay, so just welcome. We'll make sure to, to get the links in the description of the video. Uh, we thank you for now. and We thank all our audience for watching and listening. Uh, and we will ask you a couple of questions for our supporters in a second. But with that, thank you so much. Thanks for watching. We'll see you very soon with another brilliant interview like this one. And they always go out Wednesdays and Sundays. Our raw shows go out on Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays. And for those of you who like your trigonometry on the go, it's also available as a podcast. Take care and see you soon, guys. How likely is a palace coup that would remove Vladimir Putin from power? Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.